Is a quid a pound? Yes. Okay. Is a pound a quid? <laughs> well, a pound of squid a, is a completely different thing. <laughs> we have a pound of squid. 1,200 squid. Wow. That stinks. Yes. Yes, it does. More ways than one. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Dax. We might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts... Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Listen to the Prophets. I'm David Pascarella, and I'm joined with the producer, Paul Spataro. You know, I've led eight different lives, but nobody realizes it because one is more boring than the other. Mm. A military consultant and naval expert, Dr. Bill Robinson. I'm so pretty. Oh, 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 hi. And next in line to the British throne, now that Harry and Meghan have left the scene, Sir Andrew Whalen. King of the North. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe you should threaten to leave and, and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll be so afraid they're going to give you some sort of uh, offer to keep you there. <laughs> they wouldn't keep me here. They'll give a shit. Please the North remembers. Go. You know nothing, Jon Snow. So do we have any news? Yeah, Picard's in. It's great. Watch it. Absolutely. Well, it, it will. they will already be in production on season two by the time this airs, though. I think they already are, aren't they? Aren't they already deep into production of the second season? I, I'm not sure. I, I th- I, actually, I, I think you're correct. I think they. I don't know about deep in production, but I, I did hear something about production commencing. And Patrick Stewart was on The View. I don't know what that is, but I saw the clip of it. He formally invited Whoopi Goldberg into season two live on her, and it was, that was actually quite sweet, I'll be honest with you. And what did she say? She said, I would be delighted. And all of her friends on that show, I didn't recognise any of them, I only recognised Whoopi Goldberg, but all of the other people on the show said she does nothing but talk about how great it was doing Star Trek. So she's more than happy to go back and be guiding again. So, so she's going to be in series two. Are they happy for her, or they're just like, oh, thank God we can get a break? I don't think it will preclude her still being in the view. Oh, 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 oh I don't know if I can say it because you two haven't seen episode two of Picard. Ah, oh, all right. It's fine. It's fine. Oh well, Paul made it. It's it's not you a could, plot point by any means. Then go ahead and say it. They film at Vasquez Rocks. Oh, that's cool. Oh. And, I that, and that doesn't so ruin anything. Excited about that. Is there a point? I'm like, are they are they at Vasquez Rocks? <laughs> <laughs> they were at Vasquez Rocks. But I think the thing is, I think it's actually supposed to be Vasquez Rocks. <laughs> it's not supposed to be another planet or anything. It's supposed to be Vasquez Rocks, I think. I wouldn't be happy say, unless there's a Gorn. Yeah, it's they certainly don't say Earth. Picard has left the planet, do they? No, he's on Earth. No, right. So I think it's supposed to be Vasquez Rocks. And I shouldn't get so excited about a location filming, but I did. Because I love, because not only because of Arena. 
But the very first time, the pilot episode of Erwolf, the testing scene is at Vasquez Rocks. I just <laughs> want to go to Vasquez Rocks. Oh, that's not the only time Star Trek went to Vasquez Rocks. Oh, no. Oh, no, they went there loads of times. The, the, the gold one is the iconic one, isn't pretty it? Sure, pretty sure he uh, bedded Miramani to Vasquez Rocks. No, I don't no, know about no, that. No, that, that wasn't Vasquez Rocks. A Private Little War, which is the one with Julie Newmar in? No, she, no. Julie, the one Julie I Newmar remember. Julie is the Omega Glory. No, no. Is, is that's it? the No, the Omega Glory is the one where they go to the planet where everybody turns oh, to dust. No, yeah, uh, no the, the Julie Newmar was the one with uh, Aka-R. Tears, yeah. yeah, is that is that a private little war? No, no, that's the oh. private little war with the little space tarantula thing. That when the, the the guy's wife is the sorceress lady that heals Kirk from the Mugatu bite. That's uh, the one where the they, they're going to give one side flintlock rifles because the other yes. side. Yeah. yeah, that's the one where they're doing the balance of power thing, and they yeah. have to they have to um, the Federation have to arm one side because the Klingons have been arming the other. Friday's child. Friday's Child, that one was at Vasquez Rocks. Was it? See, I don't yes. The only other one I, I remember... I got a picture of Julie Newmar oh, in okay. Vasquez Rocks. That's the, the other one, one that Bone slaps her. Yeah. Sure. She, she, like, gets turned on to him. <laughs> yeah, and she names the baby Leonard. But the one with Lazarus, uh, where the... the oh, yeah, that one's at Vasquez Rocks as well. Yeah. The alternative factor. Yeah. Yep. Sure leave. That, that wasn't was Vasquez Rocks. No, that yes, wasn't. Yes, it is. Are you sure? Oh, the fight I'm, with I'm looking at Memory Alpha right now at Vasquez Rocks. You are correct. Yeah, the oh, fight. Oh, see, you're Finnegan cheating. Rocks. We're trying to remember yes, from cheating. memory. <laughs> I got all day. It, 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 it was four times in the original series. Let's see which episodes. Now, Shirley, how many Arena, times? The alternative factor and Friday's Child. Right. Next so, generation. It was Who Watches the Watchers. Who Watches the Watchers was there. Yeah, yeah. Come, yeah. they're not cheating, Paul. You're looking yeah. this up. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you uh, an option now here without cheating. Anymore. Tell me which of the Star Trek films were at Va- had scenes at Vasquez Rocks. Generations. No, Bill has been eliminated. Andrew, oh, stop it. Death Valley. Andrew, so that wasn't. You have a so, guess? Well, it's not. It's not two. It's not three. It could be four when they're on Vulcan. It could be All right, four. Dan gets a point for that because that's correct. Move on. Yeah. What about five? You've been motion eliminated. picture. <laughs> yes, in the motion picture, both the times playing Vulcan. Yeah, and it's in one other film, and I don't think you're going to get it. I think you'll all be eliminated by the time you come up to it. Uh, Star Trek film? Star Trek 09? Nope. Uh, okay. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? Possibly. <laughs> I was going to label that was going to be my well. Um, yes, it actually is in Bill, Bill and Ted's yes, Bogus Journey because that's where death is at. The, the final, the final uh, Star Trek movie appearance was in Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, right. I would not remember that. I was what too movie busy is that? What the hell are you doing? I don't count those Star Trek. <laughs> but I do. And I'm, Into Darkness. I like I've, I've never seen like that. Beyond. It's been blocked from my memory. Oh. I like Star Trek Beyond. I'm not going not gonna to pretend it is. Yeah, that was a great... That was an awesome second movie for Star Trek. Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah. I have to see that yet, because the first two... Spoiled my appetite. The third one is actually a really good fourth season episode of the original show. I actually really like the, the third one, and it's a shame that it killed the franchise because it's easily the best one of the three. It's <laughs> well, the one that really didn't kill it now that like. they're talking about coming back. All right, okay. It's the one that most feels like an episode of Star Trek. <clears throat> Any discovery news? Not that I know of. <laughs> season three's happening. That's I don't even know what they're up to with that. I think Discovery seems to have had its thunder stolen by Picard, doesn't it? 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. But I think everything now has, because there, there doesn't seem to be any buzz about any of these other series they're talking about right no. now. It's just well, all the focus is on Picard, which is as it should be while Picard is yeah. coming out. Why it's on the earth. But like, they even, while they were over here doing the press for it, Jerry Ryan was on everything, and Patrick Stewart's been on everything. But they renamed Piccadilly Square train station Picard Illy. Oh. Well, I went through a, a reading binge this month and read the first three Discovery novels. I've read one of them. I've did two hours, of those. Drastic Measures and Fear Itself. Far and away, I like Drastic Measures the best. You read that two was, of those, Andy, didn't you? You read the Yeah. Way. I read yeah, the you, one with the flashback to Spock and Burnham when they were ten years prior to Discovery. I read that one. Right. And then the one with... Uh, you, you read the one with... Uh, oh, <sighs> the one that took place in space. No, the mm-hmm. one that was the re- that told the story of um, a man Kodos. named Jed. Kodos, yes, thank you. Oh, Kodos the ex- yes, the Kodos yeah. the Executioner one, yeah. Yeah, that's the one I like the best. Yeah, I like that one, but it didn't compel me to read the other two because I'm not. I just the, the Discovery crew just doesn't really do a lot for me. I don't really find them that interesting. I'll read the Captain Pike one. The, like what was the Enterprise up to during the Klingon War? I'll read that one because that's got Captain Pike in it, and I like him. But uh, I've been reading the Star Trek Year Five comics. Have you have any of you read them? No. They're really good. Is that new stuff or is that old stuff? Yeah, that's that's a new ser- new series from IDW. They did Star Trek oh. Year Four, where they did a couple of stories <clears throat> from the fourth year of the five year mission. But by and large, everyone seems to think that the cartoon is the fourth year of the five year mission. But Dorothy Fontana wrote some of them. So they're quite interesting. She brings back the Romulan commander from the Enterprise incident. Okay, so is this Star Trek Prime Universe, or is this... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, no. So it's, it's, it's proper Star Trek, Bill. Gotcha. Good. Okay. Not, not, that, not that new stuff. And um, then year five is the fifth and final year of the five-year mission. But this is an ongoing series that's going to run for about a year. And they've, they've really done a good job with this of, of mixing serious stories... Like, um, they've got a Tholian on the ship. The The first story arc is about this Tholian colony that has been decimated by its own people. But the Enterprise managed to save a young Tholian child. And this has put them in the middle of this, this big government problem. That, like, should the Enterprise be involved in this? Should they be helping this? It's clearly a Tholian issue. And Kirk's arguing, I don't care that it's a Tholian issue. This child needed help. Everyone else had been killed around him. We brought him on the ship and we're looking after him. And the, the first story arc is Uhura learning how to speak Tholian. But then they follow that up with a trip back to Sigma Iosha 2. And they do a comedy episode. And it's really, it's really quite good. But all the time, they've got this running subplot of Kirk is being in touch with Carol. And he's really quite low about the fact that he's never been involved with David. And there's a bit of me that's like, well, they didn't really know that back then, so I'm not sure how I feel about it, but they're handling it quite well. My only problem is it is there's a continuity goof in it, and I've just had to let it go because it bugged me. Where is David supposed to have been born in relation to the five-year mission? Well, it, on the, Was he born before that mission Carol, began? Yes. The, the age of him, he looks about six years old around the time of the final year of the five-year mission. So it was before... So I'm assuming it was in between him being on the Farragut and being on the Enterprise. So you could uh, you could retcon when he's like all melancholy in uh, which one is it? Uh, it's one of the early ones where, where they were kind of doing the same thing that they were doing with Pike. 
and he was all melancholy in one of the first season episodes. I can't think of which one it is, but you could retcon that that's all due to the fact that he's not there for his son. Yeah, yeah, you could you could infer that from it. And Doctor McCoy has to have a pep talk with him, which he always has to do. But in the comic, he's Spock is a were of Carol and David, but in Star Trek Two, Spock isn't a were. Spock doesn't know about them. McCoy knows about them, but Spock doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that fine. Spock's got all these relatives nobody's aware of. That's very... Yeah, he's got Michael Burnham and Cybok, so he can thoroughly relate to this relation that comes out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah... I keep waiting for Spock to go, this is Daryl and this is my other brother, Daryl. Well, you know, I mean, if, if you're retconning, you could theoretically say Kirk was fully aware of Michael Burnham. It just never came up in conversation that we heard. Yeah, but how does that work with episodes like Yesteryear, where we clearly go back to Spock as a young boy and Michael's nowhere to be seen? And Yesteryear's canon. I I don't care what you say about the cartoon, because Sarek references it in Redemption Part 2. No, I I agree. But, uh, you know, Michael Burnham just wasn't around at that point. He was... Or he. Because the name is Michael, I tend to say he. She was, uh, you know, she was off training in some Vulcan Institute at that point. That episode is also referenced in the uh, first <laughs> Discovery novel, too. So, wait a minute. Paul, did you see the end of the season? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Then, I do, you, I because, do need to. Okay, well, because... Uh, never mind. Because I did, some I did of what recently... you just said can be explained by its own goofy continuity i did recently listen to andy and mike discussing uh superman 4 and they mentioned what's her name the admiral oh admiral carmel is in superman 4 yeah she's the english teacher yeah she's jeremy's english teacher oh it's been a while since i've seen that i i i I was inadvertently spoiled as to her face (laughs) oh sorry (laughs) that's not a problem it took you know when you wait this long to watch something you can't blame people if there's spoilers it's all i gotta say is where's all those force fields that are always supposed to be around when you don't when you know whatever just bullshit. I, I will. I still have every intention of sitting down and binging that series at some point, but I just need. I just need time. Favorite. I need time. Just don't. <laughs> and just just on a non-Star Trek related binge, uh, Matthew and I just recently watched the first season of Runaways, which I thought was okay. But now we've just started the first season of Cloak and Dagger. I'm uh, I'm only recommend that one uh, level right now, having watched I think three episodes. Wait a minute, which season of Runaways are you on? We watched season one. Oh okay, I was, I like okay. Runaways overall. I didn't think I it was great. I have not seen was a Cloak, Cloak and Dagger yet. Cloak, Cloak and Dagger were three episodes in, and and uh, it was good. I have not read the Runaways comic, so I had no. I did. Pre- pre- I dis- predisposition to the show, I was like just took it on its face value. It's it's just the the show was a little too slow moving. Yeah. Mm. But this has nothing to do with Star Trek, so we should move on because we actually are in the episode and we're not just in the shooting the breeze level. And poor Dave is going to edit we, this. We've been talking about Star Trek. That's yeah, I know, and I like moved that. us off Star Trek. <laughs> but, and gently. But we should we should uh, we should discuss uh, after uh, after image whatever that that episode we watched was. Okay, after image. Eight lifetimes of experience. That isn't enough to prepare Esri Dax for this one. I was your wife. I do not know you. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. 
Season 7, Episode 3. The original air date was October 14, 1998. Directed by Les Landau, written by Rene Echeverria, featured music by Jay Chataway. On the promenade, Esri Dax discusses with Morn her feelings about being back on the station. Morn has no idea who she is and leaves. <laughs> then in the Bajoran temple, she meets Kira and mentions having died there in the temple. Kira is made to feel uncomfortable, so Esri leaves her. In Quark's bar, Esri tells Quark she's returning to the USS Destiny and notes only Sisko and Quark seem comfortable around her. Worf enters, but upon seeing Esri, leaves immediately. The next day, Esri clandestinely arrives at Sisko's office. Hold it, hold it, hold it. How does she arrive? <clears throat> she sneakily arrives at... <laughs> that, that was a Dr. Bill word right there. I was letting it go. <clears throat> well, you know what? If I abuse you for it, how can I just let Dave go? Okay, I believe you're talking about clandestine, but we'll we'll just move on. Sorry. She arrives through a back door in Cisco's office that I frankly didn't even know he had. Oh, I remember that one. That's where uh, Buck Bakai was one time, wasn't he? Yes. She enters this way to avoid going through (laughs) ops and seeing war. Sorry. Can we move on? (laughs) We should. It's Let's. all right. She tells Cisco about her encounter and plans to return to the USA's <laughs> destiny. Cisco is disappointed but supports her. In Quarks, Jillian, Miles, and Odo plan a hollow sweet reenactment of the Battle of the Alamo. Garrick is too busy decoding Cardassian intercepts the Starfleet intelligence and has no time to work on their costumes. The crowded bar causes Garrick to become agitated, and he returns to his shop. There he suffers a claustrophobic anxiety attack. In the infirmary, Garrick tells Sisko the attack will prevent him from completing any more of his intelligence work for now, and he plans to return to sewing to calm him. Garrick needs his head examined, and Sisko asks Esri to counsel Garrick, and reluctantly she agrees. Meanwhile, Quark challenges Bashir to win Esri's heart. Esri and Garrick discuss his condition. He relate, she relates her struggle with space sickness and suggests they are punishing themselves with their conditions. Esri for a prior host's fatal shuttle accident, and Garrick as a child being locked in a closet as punishment for bad behavior. Both promise to consider this possibility. Later, Esri runs into Worf and is insulted by his indifference. Worf harshly tells her that she is not his wife, and he does not know her, nor does he wish to. Sisko tells Esri Garrick is back on the job. She relates Worf's hostility, and Sisko offers to speak with him. Esri declines, stating that Sisko intimidates Worf. Sisko finds this rather amusing, and offers her the counselor's position and a promotion to lieutenant. Her issues with Worf cause her to decline. Later, Esri and Bashir talk. She realizes he is flirting and asks him to stop. She then sees how sad he is over Jadzia's death. He admits talking to her eases his pain. She takes his hand, which Worf notices. Suddenly, there is a call that there is a medical emergency in an airlock. Garrick is in the airlock and trying to escape his claustrophobia, 
by exiting into the vacuum of space. Esri has Garrick taken to a hollow suite and suggests he use a program of vast open spaces when he feels an oncoming attack. Meanwhile, Bashir is accosted by War, violently warns him, as well as Quark, to stay away from Esri. Back at Garrick's shop, Garrick tells Esri that work is the answer to his problems. She tries to get him to talk, but he harshly insults her, tells her to get out. She leaves sobbing. Esri then submits her resignation from Starfleet to Sisko, telling him Garrick was right. Sisko gets angry at Esri's indifference. He tells her she doesn't deserve the symbiote or even to be in Starfleet and accepts her resignation. O'Brien con- counsels Worf that treating Esri like a stranger dishonors Jadzia's memory. Esri stops at Garrick's shop to apologize for being unable to help him and tells him she's leaving to return to Trill. She mentions the USS Destiny is joining a fleet massing on the Dominion weak point, all because Garrick decoded the intercepts. Garrick grows agitated, and she realizes his attacks are caused by guilt from a feeling of betraying his people. He admits instead of helping his people, he is destroying them. He collapses in another attack. Later, he thanks her for figuring out the cause of his attacks. He will continue his work even if it means Cardassia's destruction. Esri asks Sisko to be reinstated in Starfleet, but he reveals he never submitted her resignation. As she packs to leave, Worf visits and admits he has not treated her as Jadzia would have wanted. He is still conflicted, but asks her to stay. Esri gets a promotion... Just a little bit longer. Oh, sorry. Esri gets a promotion and will stay on Deep Space Nine. At the celebration... She sees Worf in a corner, raise his glass to her in a salute. Well, what do we think, gentlemen? I think you should have given her, given her the con line, stay or go, but only if you wish so. Only if you want to. Do so, because right. it is what you wish to do. Okay. It's very, very well acted. Uh-huh. The relationship between the characters is very well defined. Uh-huh. Garrick is absolutely wonderful, and he is absolutely right in everything that he says to to poor Ezra. <clears throat> the only reason she stays in the show at the end of this is because she's in the opening credits. As a character, Ezra should have moved on. This is Jadzia's life, and the entire episode is about Esri making her peace with the fact that she's got this symbiote in her that she never wanted, she never needed, but she's stuck with it, and now she's got to learn to live her life with it. And she makes her peace with that, but she shouldn't have stayed on Deep Space Nine. And it felt like the story was entirely going in the direction of Esri making the decision to leave and live her own life, but and she's then she in the doesn't. credits, uh, so she can't. And I felt that was wrong for the character. And therefore, I didn't retroactively enjoy it as much as I did while I was watching it. But that being said, the bits all leading up to that are absolutely wonderful, even though Esri is a god-awful counsellor. Oh, she's <laughs> a horrible counsellor. See, I thought that the episode did a good job of presenting issues that would come up assuming Esri wanted to stay and assuming the ca- the crew wanted Esri to stay, which is, as you said, Andy, it's, it's, it makes no sense, but assuming that all were the case. Uh, but the two problems I had with it is some of the dialogue was sitcom cringeworthy level, like, mm. why are you standing on your head? Oh, I don't know. Or... Uh, 
I, I'm trying to remember. There was another line when she was talking to Garrick that was just like so, just you're so. Just waiting for the you're waiting for the laugh track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they, they, they were like bad lines, uh, and then and also just the you know these these were some deep emotional problems that that Garrick and and Esri were suffering from, and Worf for that matter as well, and yet they were all solved in 45 minutes. Mm. Just, yeah, you know, that, that's another of my issues with it. Uh, <clears throat> what Garrick's going through is really understandable in essentially that he's betraying his own people, even if the long term goal is a good one. And that's causing him his anxiety. And Worf, Worf's having a really difficult time and people don't seem to have taken it seriously. Because as far as he's concerned, he is like, well, she's walking around. Dax is walking around, but my wife is dead. How does that work? And I think they needed a proper therapist, not this one who's shit. And I think these, well, these, these needed to be subplots that ran for a while. This this isn't yeah. something you just solve. These, these should be things that are ongoing and maybe... Maybe they just kind of reeled them in in 45 minutes, but they don't resolve them. I don't think she was always a bad counselor. I think she's a bad counselor now because of the mental issues she's having because exactly. of not having the so proper she training. she's not qualified right. to be doing this job at the no, moment. No, she shouldn't be a counselor now. And she really, they should have just let the character of Jadzia go. But on the bright side, they're replacing, I mean, it's nice they're replacing have... no one with the counselor because they didn't have one before her. Yeah, it is nice that they've given Ezri a different job. So no, the other I think slotted her straight into Jadzia's role. I think they had a counselor, and then they told that one, hey, why don't you catch the destiny and get out of here? Because hey, we, we, we have, have a new counselor. But Nicole DeBoer is very cute, so you got to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, All let's right, be Bob, honest. Bob the counselor, but what do you mean i got to leave? I don't want to want destiny. The, the crew of Deep Space Nine need a counselor far more than the crew of the Enterprise did. <laughs> You know what I found really interesting and ironic? Correct me if I'm wrong. Deep Space Nine is an outpost pretty much on the edge of the frontier in the middle of a war that this place could be over overrun. And it has been overrun in the past. And everybody could be killed. And the Hollow Suite program they're going to reenact is the Alum. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably deliberate, isn't it? I mean, to me, that was... <laughs> Like a good call to pick yeah. that. Round everything to a stop. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of all the other programs that Bashir and O'Brien have done, and they've all been like that, haven't they? They've all been hopeless battles that they've been playing on the holodeck. I also, I love as well that they're all battles we've heard of. There's never anything that takes oh, yeah. place in the 400 years in between now and then. Yeah, they could have, well, you know... <laughs> they the Battle of Montana. You would think at some point they'd enact the Battle of the Mutara Nebula. I was going to say they they could reenact Kirk and the Gorn. Wolf 359? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Why do... <laughs> and I may be a bit... That's too... Miles will be going, Why do I always have to be the Gorn? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you do, the, you do so the voice slow. so well. <laughs> so well, that's very true. And we, um, we don't even... We've not even... Um, the line that feel better delivers to poor Dr. Bashir. Oh, if Worf hadn't come along, it would have been you. Oh, well, that's tactful. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Nice that I'm your sloppy second. Yeah. yeah. I was like, did you have to tell him that? And he, you he were was, so close. You were just right there. Maybe. Yeah. It's almost like it's setting something up. Hmm. 
Yeah, that and that's my problem as well, because I do love the relationship with Jake Sisko in the last episode. And I love the line at the end where Jake's like, she's pretty hot. And Ben's, she's also 300 years too old for you. But she's not. She's a young officer straight out of Starfleet, which makes her, what, 22, if that. Jake's a star too old from at all. They think her relationship is really wonderful to see because Ben knows what Dax was like when he was a man. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just to go kind of build on the point that you would make in a little further is I, I think, you know, the writers were put in a bad situation to some extent because of uh, the change in the cast. And I think they needed to get this resolved quickly. And knowing that they're in their last season, they couldn't take their time with with working Esri into the uh, crew. So I think they were given an almost impossible task. I think it would have been better if they gave her kind of some sort of a junior role. You know, yes, she is staying, but she's not going to have a very significant part, and she's going to be more in the social aspects of the show and not really so much in the actual functioning of the crew. I think that would have been more believable. Uh, but, you know, they, they this is how they handled it. And, uh, you know, it's almost like you got to say, okay, let's just keep moving on. Uh mm. I liked, to some extent, the way Garrick's claustrophobia was presented, and I'm, I'm not very expert on that particular uh, illness. Uh, I mean, I know that feeling of, you know, you're in a confined space and you can't get out, but it seemed interesting, like, when, you know, when he was in his shop, he was in a fairly open space and he was feeling more and more confined even in there. Like, I always understood claustrophobia that you couldn't handle being in a very confined space. I didn't realize it made more open spaces feel more confined to you, if that is an accurate portrayal of it. it, it well, it felt to me much more like an anxiety or a panic attack. Yes. And I don't know why it looked like to me what he was going more than a claustrophobia thing and maybe 20 years ago they just didn't know enough about panic attacks and anxiety and when, if they did and when, it now that's probably what it would have been the scene when they're in the in quarks uh, you know the way the people were uh impinging upon his space i'm thinking that was his perception of it as opposed to reality because if people did that anybody would be like hey you know give me some room here what the hell are you guys doing <laughs> yeah that, that was almost comically bad wasn't it it was it's not if that's his perception. Yeah, if that's his intention of it or what he feels like, that's perfectly acceptable. But, but, it, yeah, but if that's reality, show, it's just silly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been in pubs that were that bad. crowded, but not where it's that crowded by Garrick and it's pretty wide open by Julian and, and, and Miles. Yeah, behind them, there was nobody there. It was like, well, you could only afford the extras on one side of the set, could you? <laughs> and I, I think they played it that I it was just I'm... Garrick's perception, too, because when he gets angry at the people and finally says something, then you get a shot of them, and you could see they're like looking like, what the hell's wrong with him? Yeah, and if, if, problem, if what we dude. saw was reality, they'd all understand why he was acting like that. Yeah. And, there's, and there's a lot to like about this one as well. I love the bit where... Um, I keep wanting to call her Jadzia, where Esri tells Ben that Worf's intimidated by it. Yes, I love his reaction to it. And, and <laughs> twice, when he yeah. laughs, and then when he laughs. says, just let me know and I'll intimidate him for you. <laughs> yeah. He should He should be intimidated. He was a man called Hawk. That is true. So, I'm surprised I, they I couldn't just medicate. I'm surprised they couldn't just medicate Garrick to calm him down. Yeah, give him a hypospray. Yeah. That would... 
Always worked. Doctor Mackay had magic hypos, bro. Yeah. So I don't know. Now I'm just curious if you were such an important asset that you were decoding, you know, all these enemy intercepts. Would they le- let you stay out there on the front? No, they'd probably bring you into Starfleet. Right. You'd be in a bunker mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, I, I yeah. pretty much agree with that from a logistic point of view. Yeah, yeah they'd have him sequestered away somewhere where the Cardassians can't get at him. Yeah, but he might have said... Because like well, Dave, Dave mentioned, yeah, he could have said I'd rather be on the front. But yeah, and, and, said, and if well, you want me to do this for you, you have to leave me here or I won't. Exactly, yeah. That right. could have been a condition ah, right, of service fine. to him. So, and and but you know his, I I thought it was really well handled that first we're getting the claustrophobia aspect of it, and and then we we did get some almost sitcom level of of writing there with the well my father would put me in the in the closet until I learned my lesson you know that that thing it was just like so simplistic it was ridiculous like he doesn't even realize how how crazy it is what he's saying, uh, but then when it came to the end and. It's his guilt over what he's doing. He's trying to save the Cardassians, and now he's afraid he's, you know, destroying them. I liked that a lot. I thought that was a, a great twist to it, and and it really did make it more understandable why he would have such deep emotional problems with it. Yeah, yeah. The 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 actual thing. I don't know what the actual word is, but the actual symptoms of what Garrick's going through was all well done, and it was all exceptionally well played by Andy Robinson. I just I agree with you that it's something that should have been running for a couple of episodes instead of all wrapped up conveniently. Because do you think this is ever going to be mentioned? I my memory of of the show going forward, I don't know that it's mentioned again ever, and I hmm. think it should be an ongoing so, problem he has that he always needs to be out in open spaces that he can't, you know, that he he has difficulty whenever they have him go anywhere confined yeah because yeah, it's not something that goes away no I, I i believe it's like being a recovering alcoholic that you know it's something you always deal with for the rest of your life you get it under control no, you but you can't you have it all it. the time yeah no because i have it you get it all the time and you just have to manage it all that aside it was kind of a fun episode is there anything more as far as the ramifications for the season that we should discuss before we move on no, because there's not really a lot in it. It is all about introducing Ezra and getting her into the crew, and the little party at the end kind of sets that all up with Odo's friends with her. I did like the moment where she goes into the the Prophet's temple, and Kira's there, and she said, "This is where I died." And Kira's, mm, I try not to think about that. I thought that was a nice moment between the two of them. Yeah, I, I thought Kira was was believable in that moment because I didn't think she wasn't over the top with it, which is where it seems like everybody else was. She was more just like trying hmm. to be understanding, but having difficulty with it and just clearly uncomfortable. Kira should have said, "No, dear, you were shot here. You died several hours later in six pack." <laughs> how, how stupid yeah, you are you? <laughs> Nothing to do with us. <laughs> so. If Terry Farrell had not been booted, left the series, you know, with everything that happened to her, so this episode would have probably been one of the, um, what would they have put here? Because the next episode is kind of the feel-good episode, so what would have this episode, because that's the whole reason of this, this was written. You know, I, I think it might have been a... Uh a similar episode as far as the claustrophobia goes. I think they might have gone with, with Garrett. That. Yeah. But, but just you would have eliminated that, that uh, you know, that whole Esri subplot, and then you would have had to find a subplot to have 
that was different. Right. So, so I think that the so Garrick, Garrick one Garrick, would have gone. Right, Garrick would have been the A plot, and we would have had some other side subplot. That's you know. I, I don't see why they wouldn't have gone with that no, storyline. I, I don't think they'd have done this episode at all. Really, you don't think they would have had something with Garrick? Nope. I don't think they would have done that. Mm-hmm. They carried straight on into the war stuff. I yeah, think there's, a, there's an element of... They've, they've held back the main plot for two episodes already, and part of that is they've had to bring Cisco back to Deep Space Nine, introduce this new character, and then there's a the feeling they have to set up the new status quo, which this episode wouldn't have existed. But I got think Cisco back on Deep Space Nine and just gone on. I think if you didn't have the Dex aspect of it, you could have gone with the Garrick portion, and had it been more online with moving the plot forward with the uh, Dominion War. And maybe have it be Julian that helped? Yes. Yeah. She would have been the one to deal with this. Like, but, and then obviously yeah, that you would have added another work. subplot, and the subplot may have had, had a much more direct uh, you know, relationship with the uh, Dominion War. Like maybe there was some pending military maneuver that had to be, they had to have something decoded, and there was even more pressure on Garrick to get it done, and Julian would have to help him resolve the issue. Through a hollow suite program. Yeah, probably. Maybe even within the story, Julian could have done it, but they wanted to give Esri something to build her confidence. But it wouldn't be Esri if if Terry Farrell. No, no, I'm saying left. in this plot, in our mm. timeline. Oh yeah, well I guess you know, like like Andy kind of brought up is it was it was contrived that they needed to keep her there though. Right. You know that was just a, that was just a, for the sake of keeping that particular character on board. From a uh, logistic point of view, I don't think Starfleet would have sent her back there at all, period. Nope. No, well, why would they? Why would they not just leave Ezri in her original post? Yeah. Or or if she needed, you know, a little R&R after the, uh, the, the you know, she had the symbiote put in, they still would have said, well, don't go back to your old... Because wasn't that a big thing with the symbiotes, that they weren't supposed to try and resume their yes. lives? Yes. Yeah, because you're, you would be really be screwing up the life of the person whose body you're yeah. not inhabiting. Yeah, well, Worf. Yeah. Well. And Worf, Worf's dilemma so, yeah, is I've understandable. Let, let's keep her on the station. Yeah, it is. Worf's yeah, that's not going to cause any problems anywhere. <laughs> Worf's dilemma is totally understandable that, you know, this this is kind of his wife, but it's not. And he doesn't know her, but he won't, you know, but somehow it's her living, living on in some ways. But it, it kind of play, puts into question, you know, in a situation like that where, where a trill gets married, is it the host? Is it the symbiote? You know, because this is almost saying, like, that Worf was really married to the host, Jadzia, not to the symbiote. Right. Well, well, I think he was, wasn't he? But he was married to, I mean, they were combined, so it was really one. <clears throat> it, it, it becomes very complicated when you think about it that way. Because now that There's, that symbiote's still alive, you know, was was he was he just you know was, and and it has all the memories. So like a symbiote, I'm just thinking about this in my head. So so like a symbiote, you you know, you could say is like a living hard drive that saves all the data and it just moves from computer to computer. Imagine how screwed up that computer would eventually be <laughs> with all that data. In and it. and you know what's and what's the lifespan? Operating systems. What's the lifespan of a symbiote? I do think they address that at some point, maybe in one of the novels or something. But I don't think it's you know like eternal. I think you know it, it does age at some point and, yeah. and die. Well, what happens if the symbiote dies? What happens to the person? I think the person dies. Did they die? I think so because because oh. when when they removed the symbiote from Jadzia, she was in danger of dying. 
Hmm. They sent her for one reason. There was an admiral at Starfleet named Alan Bunt. And he just said, won't it be fun if we send this one and let's see what happens. We're going to replace Worf's wife with Jed Zia, <laughs> with, with uh, Esri. He doesn't know our cameras are on when she's walking over. <laughs> let's see what happens. Worf doesn't know that Esri is about to give her a hot foot. Give him a hot foot. <laughs> did you ever see when they did it on Saturday Night Live? It was Joe Piscopo. They, no. they went to a diner. And they served like cake, but before they before they served the cake, they took the fork and they heated it up with a Bunsen burner. <laughs> he thinks he's going to get a mouthful of cream pie, but instead he's going to have a mouthful of molten flesh. <laughs> uh, so stupid, but funny. So, uh, Bill. Yes. When when you were in the service, did you ever see one officer grab another officer by the throat? I'm pretty sure that's conduct unbecoming. Uh, no, I never saw it. Did it happen? Uh, I'm sure it might have. I'm sure it's happened at different times, but I never saw it. Now, enlisted people... Well, that's different. They end up in the brig. Well, no. Uh, no? I, it's funny you mentioned something like that, Dave, because I have a story right at my... Right at the... In the, the right at my repertoire... Uh, no, I, me and another guy, well, this other guy just lost his shit. We, we, oh, sorry. That's the sailor that's uh, that's coming out of me. No, me and a guy were talking, uh, we were actually on on, on watch. And, um, I, you know, you, you're at sea for a few months and you get edgy. Everybody starts to get edgy. And um, uh, we were having a discussion and this guy just hauls off and punches me like right in the chest. Not just like a like, ha, ha, ha. He just came back and wailed me right in the chest in front of everybody. And I just kind of stood there, took a few steps back, looked at him, you know, and everybody's like looking at us. And I was like, you know, he was my friend and I was shocked that he did this. And I was like, Chris, I think you need to just take a step back and you need to leave quickly because none like the chiefs. None, none of the officers saw that happen. There was like a chief or two that saw it and they were kind of looking at the situation like, are we going to have to jump in? What's going on here? And he left and stormed off and later apologized, you know, because guys are dealing with different stress. You know, you get messages from home. Th- things are going on. So, but, but, uh, no, I never saw officers do that. But, you know, and then I, I actually went, went off on a guy that I work with in my own work center because, you know, you're close proximity to the same people every day. They get on your freaking nerves, especially when you live with them as well as work with them. And there's nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. Oh, wait, I haven't been able to do this in a couple of years. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Real Life with Dr. Bill Robinson. (laughs) Did that kind of answer your question? Yes, sir. Okay. No, but I'm afraid to ask another one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you about when I was in the bathroom and... Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's for another show. I do have an interesting story that, uh, okay, this will be another one. Go ahead, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Real Life with Dr. Bill Robinson. So one of my friends, while he was urinating on the ship. <laughs> How old? It's, oh, the just stop while you're ahead. <laughs> no, so he was urinating and he had to sneeze. This is a PSA. This is a public service announcement. So... If you're standing out of your own or there's people next to you and your hands are otherwise busy, what do you do with your sneeze? 
do you just go that's who and just go all over the you know sneeze all over the place whatever you do your best to just not aim it at them or do you hold it in no so he exactly because he was in midstream and he and he went to sneeze and he went and he held it in well when you do that what usually tightens up your groin and your lower body so about a week later he he was you know maybe a few days later he, he was having some discomfort the next time he urinated so they had to he went to the doctor uh, to the you know the the naval doctors god i shudder to think because i had the same procedure done later as a civilian they put a camera up his you know and uh, he had a tear in his urethra and they oh. traced it back because probably because m- much like if you pinch a garden hose while it's under pressure, you could rupture the side. So basically, he pinched off the stream and ruptured the side of his urethra on the inside. So if you got to sneeze while taking a uh, taking a leak, just just let it go, let it go, let it go. Don't hold it in. This has been a PSA from Doctor Bill. And that's one to grow on. Did you say that's one to scrotum? What? <laughs> All right, I think we've just descended enough that we should rate this episode. <laughs> David, it is your episode. I thought it had a lot of uh, interesting parts. Um, the Garrick storyline was well done. The Esri drama was so-so. So to be fair, I cut it down the middle, and I give it three bars of gold-pressed platinum. And I thought the acting was really good. I thought the writing was somewhat uh, pedestrian. And I think when you combine those two, to me, and but just to add into that, it was overall an entertaining episode. So I'm going to give it the slightest tick over, at, over right, you know, down the middle and give it a 3.0 as well. Okay, since obviously you guys have not mastered math, 3 is 2.5. I said a slightest tick over. Oh, Perhaps like, you okay, didn't right. hear. Maybe you no, should I didn't. clean out your ears, Dr. Bill. Maybe you well, have one these, of those feathers these, in your ears that, that, that Quark has. It's these stifling headphones. Because <laughs> I am going to give it right down the middle 2.5. It's 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 okay, but you can see why it had to be here. But, you know, it's a plot. It's plot. Well, it's not even plot driven. It's, it's because of their... It's circumstance driven. South, it just you know, it's just a two point five. But I think I think yeah, they needed to spend a little bit more time in the writers' room, polishing this one up a little bit. I've just been looking at Memory Alpha while you've been giving it your ratings. Where Rene Recavario wrote it said that real life counselors after the episode heard told him that it was a lot of bunk. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, I'm free as well. I like the performances. I like the actors. I like the characters. I log the ending feels unearned, and I really wish it was Jake that got with Esri, not Julian. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that also. Okay, so that's it for this episode. But what does Blaine say? All right. So have we done Lou Reed uh, a Lou Reed Blaine song? Not that I'm aware of. I don't think you've done a Lou Reed Blaine song. No. What does Blaine? Say what does he say? What 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 does he say? What 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 did he say? Say say what did he say? All right. Plain says. 
<laughs> Hi guys, an Esri episode. We get a very good picture of how Esri differs from previous hosts, and we see the adjustment period that Trill have to go through. I kept hoping she'd order fish fingers and custard from the replomat. Her interactions with Garrick reveal as much about her as about him and are doing well to get us up to speed with the new cast member. While this season's fan is already relatively clean. It's hard not to be overshadowed by Garrick, though. I swear his neck and shoulder makeup was heavier this time around than I'm used to. I also appreciate Les Lando's use of a slight iris to cut into the corners of the image when Garrick's claustrophobia is in play to give viewers some of the same sensation. So far, I'd have to say this is one of the few cases where unexpected cast changes leave the show in a better place. Ezri is an interesting character in her own right, and the jarring change to the crew because she happened to be the Trill leave potential for stories. That shows don't normally get to explore. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season even more so than I was before. Blaine. Well, I, I, I see. I like Nicole DeBar. I think she's she's charming, and I... Don't mind her joining the cast in the slightest, but I'm not going to go as far as to say losing Terry Farrell is a plus. I, I don't. I I have a tough time going on for that. But Blaine yeah, is right. I, I don't I, think Blaine is right. If uh, she had custard and fish fingers, that would have been fantastic. All right. So that's it for this episode. But now we can look at email because we actually have some. The first one is from Anthony Imbrono. And it is from December 12th, 2019. So by the time you listen to this, it will have been a long time ago. And it's titled The Documentary. Gentlemen, I finally got around to buying and watching the DS9 documentary. I waited a month after buying because I thought watching it would make me sad. But instead, I laughed out loud. I recoiled at Gareth. I cried along with Aaron Eisenberg. I hollered, cheered, and clapped at the writing of the Season 8 opener. And I adored Nana Visitor. I'm so pleased with the documentary, full stop, I'm rewatching the series again, for maybe the eighth or ninth time, as I was so enthralled with the doc. Well done, Ira. A few points about sons and daughters. Why didn't Martok mention that he had a son? In fact, we never hear or see Martok's son ever again after war punches him out in quarks, shortly after arriving on the station. That always bothered me, especially since Martok let Worf into his house. Then George can't stand you, and even Ezri Dax. The writers can't keep track of everybody, but I kind of felt at least a mention in this episode would have given Martok's character even more depth. Not that he needed it, since I agree he saves the episode. I also wonder if Worf is a bit of a jerk with his son, because he still has no idea how to be a father. This is something that Jadzia noticed and eventually became convinced that Worf had learned enough during the summer of George that she eventually decided to have a baby with him. So by itself, the episode is definitely a two, but I do enjoy that even the so-so episodes of DS9 set us up for great storytelling later. Happy 2020, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with anything you're saying there. I thank you for the email. Did you do Robert Smith? Oh, did you just do Robert Smith? No, Robert Smith is the next one. I love The Cure. Don't you love The Cure? Love cats. No, nobody else listens to The Cure. No, I listen to The Cure. You were just cutting in and out a little bit. I'm impressed that Robert Smith has took the time to email us when not touring with The Cure. I thought that was cool. Hello, Prophet listeners. Hello, Robert Smith of The Cure. 
question and uh, I've got a question and upcoming season six. I've got a question of an upcoming season six episode, possibly. I started listening to the podcast a couple of months ago. I've been going through the older episodes as well as the new ones. I just heard your take on Hippocratic Oath. In that one, Paul had a hard on about Chief. Oh, no, Paul was pretty hard on Chief <laughs> O'Brien. And thought that Cisco and Starfleet should come down on him. <laughs> okay. For disobeying Bashir's orders to help the Jemadar. I always thought O'Brien was justified in disobeying Bashir. I've never served in the military, but I have watched a lot of Hogan's. <laughs> oh, well, in that case, I be- I'll back off the I'm argument. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to say, Robert, I, I don't think Hogan's Heroes was an accurate depiction of the military. I could be wrong. Whenever there's a new allied POW isn't hip to the show's premise, he'll insist that the first duty of a prisoner of war is to escape. In this situation, not only was Bashir not trying to escape, but he could be seen as offering aid and comfort to the enemy. That being said, I wonder if Paul will go back and change his mind when you go to Inquisition. At one point in Lone references the Erratic Oath and uses them to castrate Starfleet. Sisko not only doesn't defend Bashir, but refers to the incident as one of the questionable decisions Bashir has made in his career. This makes me believe that Sisko and Starfleet probably sided with O'Brien. Even if the events of Inquisition weren't real, Sisko's reaction was probably she didn't even try to defend him. Almost as if he had tried to defend himself from this pre and knew that Sisko wouldn't buy it. When you review Inquisition, I'd be interested to see if Paul still believes that O'Brien should have been reprimanded. Yours, I got two, two points on that. First of all, throw his ass in the brig. I got no problem with that. That's why I have not changed my opinion. Second of all, why does everybody always question me? (laughs) I'm entitled to an opinion. You are entitled to an opinion, yes. An informed opinion, preferably, but an opinion nevertheless. Well, it's at least as informed as by watching Hogan's Heroes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take the Hogan defense, please. Yes. Well, I learned everything I know about the military from John Hannibal Smith, so what do I know? I learned it from Dr. (laughs) Bill Robinson. Hey. Apparently, a lot of military decisions are based on when you sneeze in relation to urinating. (laughs) Right, you could accidentally launch something, fire a gun. Well, well, that was the premise of F, true. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It abruptly (laughs) changed defeat into victory. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think that this series has been replete with times when people disregard orders because it is convenient to the plot and there's no ramifications to it. Um, So I I have an issue with that, and I I don't think I'm going to stop having an issue with that. It's just I I can't imagine that the military is that lax on, well, you didn't agree, that's okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. I agree with Paul. As people who never served in the military, we are in agreement. We are, are indeed. So I guess that'll be it for this episode. What are we doing next time? Next time, our all-new episode of Listen to the Prophets. Bill should really sing this one. Take me out to the hollow suite. Cisco's oldest rival. It's been a long time. Challenges him to one final showdown. We will destroy them. The name of the game is baseball. But for Cisco, this is no time to play. This game is supposed to be fun, not a life and death struggle. 
on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He'll do it better than me. Maybe he'll do it next time on an all-new episode. Yeah. Wait, do I can prep. Who's got the next one next time? I, I think I do. Oh, then you'll have to sing it. Mm, maybe I'll bring in a guest singer, a pinch singer, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> all right. See you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine Podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Andy, do you do Valentine's Day in... You don't do that over there, do you? Yes. Yes, we Oh, do. you do? Oh, so you got roped into that fake yeah. bullshit holiday, too. Yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> you, can thank, you can thank consumerism for that. What are you, Peter Griffin? <laughs> no, I'm the, the kid on The Simpsons. <laughs> oh. Nelson. Nelson, yeah. Uh, Nelson. Yeah, that's the guy. Hey, everybody, it's the kid who goes, ha-ha. Remember when the tall guy in the car? (laughs)